0: push on with a topic that is probably my favourite. It was funny when Matt and Nath asked me to preach, Nath kind of made a bit of a joke about me being the discipleship guy, or something like that. So apparently I've got a reputation for this, but this is one of my favourite topics and, and I'm so excited to be able to be talking on it this morning. I'm not an expert at all, by all means, um, but I have spent a lot of time thinking about um, this word discipleship and what it means for me and, and what it means for us as the body of Christ. Because I think it is one of the most important things for us to talk about in a culture that really values consumerism and, and what can I give, what, what can I take, what can I consume. Discipleship flies in the face of that cultural phenomenon where we, we need to be giving. We need to be people that are actively partnering with God and actually doing stuff to participate in what God is doing not just consuming. So I really encourage you this morning. This is a really important thing for us to be thinking about. How do we resist the culture that we are finding ourselves kind of soaked in? Our social media is set up with algorithms to pamper our minds with what our minds want, with the opinions that make us feel good, with the videos, those cat videos, all the memes that that make us just have a great time in life without really doing anything that's going to be of value in offering the kingdom of God and the people of God, growth and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is something that I think we need, to, we need to be really forceful at taking captive in our minds. Who remembers what Matt talked about last week? I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to what Matt said, then that sermon is recorded on the website, so you can go back and have a listen to that. And I really encourage you to go back and do that. Matt said the groundwork for what I'm going to kind of talk to today. I just want to touch on a couple of things before we launch into what I'm going to share with us that Matt said last week that I think are important for us to be remembering. First thing, God's design is that we are disciples who disciple others to Related to what I talked about before, it's easy for us to, even in the Western church, very much so in the Western church, have this idea or have this belief as Christians that if we just rock up to a service and perhaps a a study group during the week and consume some biblical material, that we are doing what Jesus called us to do. And I think that's a little bit deceptive. That simplifies and kind of like downplays the significance of what we are called to as followers of Jesus if we believe that. We are disciples who are called to disciple others. And that means having an active focus on how we can help other people grow. And that's not just about rocking up. It's actually about giving, as I said before. Matt said something along these lines. I can't remember whether this was something I was thinking. and it was prompted by something he said or it was something he just said. But I think it's cool anyway. So I'm going to say it. Programs don't disciple others. People do programs don't disciple others, people do. Again, another kind of like warped idea that I think I've fallen to over the years is that, oh, if we just chuck Alpha on, if somebody runs Alpha, if we, or um, search to find, seek to find, whatever it was called, if we just run a course, then it's going to spit out people that know how to follow Jesus and we'll be all good. We can leave it to the leaders in the church. That is entirely wrong. Life is a lot more complicated than what a simple little program can teach us to do. They can be great to lay a foundation for what it's like to be a disciple in the world. But unfortunately, programs don't spit out perfect disciples of Jesus. People who are led by the Spirit um, and are responsive to what He is calling us to do and say and how He's calling us to serve others, that's how disciples of Jesus that are mature are formed. It's people. And Matt said that there's these two key questions that are important for us to keep in mind when we are looking to disciple others, when we're looking to help others, people grow in their walk with the Lord. And the first question was, what is Jesus saying to you? The second question is, what are you going to do about this? And they're great. That's a great starting point for being somebody who is seeking to disciple others. And I want you to keep those questions in mind as I talk this morning. So the thing that I've had on my heart as I've been thinking about what to preach on this morning has been um, actually just unpacking some of the challenges that we face um, as disciples of Jesus, as people who have committed our lives to asking these two questions of ourselves day by day, asking ourselves, what is Jesus saying to me and what am I going to do about it? And also asking others that we come into contact with, what's Jesus saying to you and what are you going to do about it? It would be brilliant if we could just ask those questions and, and have easy answers every day and, and just go from one to two to three to four percent of being a mature follower of Jesus, just like some kind of like pre-planned out program or, or phase, growing phase. But there's, there's challenges that disrupt our growth and there's challenges that the enemy throws our way. And by virtue of being just broken humans that are still going through a process of sanctification, there's challenges that come and disrupt our growth and threaten to sometimes even disable our growth. Some of you are probably aware that in the media over the last couple of months, there's been a number of high profile believers, pastors, musicians that have walked away from their faith or have walked um, across to a very progressive, what I would say is unbiblical understanding of faith and God. And these are really good reminders that There is an enemy that is out there to steal, kill and destroy and to devour our faith. And the parable that Jesus told about the the sower scattering uh, seeds in the different environments, the path, the rocks, uh, the field of weeds and then the field of of growth um, show that unfortunately not everyone who says, yep, I want to follow Jesus is going to make it through. Their faith is not always going to survive. And so we need to be aware that there's going to be challenges And I don't want to scare you this morning. I'm going to talk about things that probably you're all aware of. I don't want to discourage you from taking on the job of following Jesus and taking up the call of following Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that there's going to be challenges, but there is a reward. There is a hope and a glory that we are looking forward to, that when we face these challenges, we can look to and say, hey, this is hard, but I've signed up to something that is 100% worth it. Right. So that's where I'm coming from this morning. And hopefully we'll land in that position of being really excited about, you know, hey, there's going to be challenges, but it's so worth it. The first challenge that um, I guess in just reading scripture and reflecting on my own life that I'm aware that can come up in our process of discipleship is that we can be challenged by the cost to our time, resources and relationships as we seek to, to grow and sow, oh, this I was supposed to talk about this. I came up with this brilliant like little, you know, saying that I thought encapsulated the discipleship journey really well. Grow and sow. We're seeking to grow. That's what we take in. We need to be growing ourselves. We can't If we're not growing ourselves and our faith is, is suffering, we're going to be pretty hopeless at helping others grow in their relationship and sowing, sowing into others' relationships. So grow and sow, that's a phrase I'm going to use. This morning, just to represent that journey of of taking in and continuing to be discipled by Jesus and growing our walk and then sowing and helping others grow in their walk with Jesus as well. So grow and sow. And as we grow and sow, yeah, we can be challenged because it's costly. It's costly. If you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. So we're just dropping in on a situation where Jesus was preaching and as it says here in verse 17... He was setting out on a journey. So as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, I, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He didn't just like say, you've got it all wrong. He loved him. He saw to who the person was. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, "'See, we've left everything and followed you.' Jesus said, "'Truly I say to you, "'there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters "'or mother or father or children or lands for my sake "'and the sake of the gospel, "'who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, "'houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and lands, "'with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. "'But many who are first will be last and last first. Many of us are probably familiar with this story and every time I read it, I'm reminded that we are the rich people. We are living in a society which most of us are in probably the top 2 or 1% of the richest people in the world and we are. We have opportunity, we have wealth, we have great material possessions that a lot of people who are living in this earth do not have. And so there's a warning for us. There's actually a warning there that, you know, those of us that have easy access to wealth to satisfy our our creature comforts and to cruise through life, it's actually harder because there's a lot of distractions here. And we see so many times through Scripture, Jesus reminds us that we have to be willing to pay the price. We have to be willing to take up our cross every day and follow him. We have to be willing And unfortunately, this guy here wasn't willing. The gospel records him as going away sad because he had much wealth. Jesus clearly invited him. He actually said to him, sell everything and then come and follow me. So there was a direct invitation there for this guy to actually come and follow Jesus. But his wealth, we know, stopped him from taking that step. I don't know about you, but I think what this has looked like in my life is laying aside, particularly those creature comforts, Um, I remember when I was younger and kind of starting out on my journey, really actively wanting to serve Jesus and and follow him. I was really into sport as a kid. Mum and dad will probably remember that footy and cricket and basically anything sport related was something that I spent a lot of time investing in. Um, I'd watch the footy. I'd play footy. I'd trade footy cards with my mates at school. I remember one one day I left my footy album, my footy card album at school, like behind a bin overnight, and I was just devastated. I came back to school and I knew where I'd put it, but I was like, oh man, I think it rained last night, and the the album was kind of a little bit damaged, but fortunately, most of the cards were preserved. But that was just, that was big in my life back then, because footy cards and and having that full set meant a lot. It's back in the day when the Herald Sun was like, they'd release a new pack every week. Some of you might remember that. I was super, super into that. And I just remember like probably 14, 15 years of age, just the TV would be on with the footy on um, on a Saturday night and maybe Dad was watching it, watching Hawthorne get demolished by Collingwood or something like that. Um, I've got no idea. It was probably the era of Collingwood doing really bad. But anyway, I just remember this pull in my heart like the Holy Spirit I wouldn't have identified at the time that it was the Holy Spirit, but I just, I know in hindsight that it was the Holy Spirit saying, come aside with me, read the word, pray, I want to teach you. And so I guess there was this wrestle that was going on inside me. How do I want to spend my time? Do I want to do what is going to fulfill my creature comforts, sit back, eat some ice cream, watch the footy, or go and invest in learning about how to do life with Jesus? And so many times I'm so glad that I chose the option of, you know, heading off to my room and just sitting down with the Word, journaling for for a little bit, spending time praying with the Lord. And I credit a lot of my growth to, I think, decisions to to say no to that creature comfort brain and say yes to the Spirit pulling me aside. We need to continue to fight that. I've realised 10 years on. That that doesn't get any easier. We all go through seasons where we get pulled by the world. We get pulled by the TV. We get pulled by Facebook and social media. We get pulled by hobbies and and other ways that we could be spending our time. But we need to continue investing in, in growth. We need to be continuing to invest in time with the Lord. I think something that is also really relevant for us, particularly the adults in the room, but also teenagers who are beginning to embark on careers And this is something that I I guess I've learned in the last few years as I've become employed and been chipping away at a couple of degrees. And this is this thing of career. There's this tension between wanting to advance in our career and earn a a solid amount of money and and shore up our future versus devote time to the kingdom, devote time to investing in church community, devoting time to serving those around us to giving of our practical means as well. And this is something that I just encourage you to reflect on this week. How are you doing with this? Is your career becoming an idol? Is it preventing you from stepping into things that you are convicted that God is calling you to step into? I just want to mention a few people and honour a few people because there's a bunch of people here in this church community that have given up a lot. Um, And there's a bunch of very smart people I know as well that if they like poured in The hours that they were investing in church community into their career, I'm sure they'd be top of the field and we'd be hearing their names in the news. I'm just so thankful that there's people in this church community that have said no to the advancement of self-career. And sure, God calls some people to do that. I'm not saying that people who are in the news headlines have made the wrong decision. God loves to exalt the humble, and sometimes that means that we get exalted in our field. But There is definitely a sacrifice in terms of career that a number of people in this church community have made. I think of Noel and Melissa running youth group for us for several years. Um, I was just so thankful for the time and the effort that they put in on a Friday night, on a Sunday morning to invest in us and teaching us the word, um, particularly in that Sunday morning space. Um, I was flicking through my photos um, last night and I found pics from the snow trip that we did on a Saturday with the youth. And I just I remember eating hot dogs out of the back of the Land Cruiser um, with <laughs> Noel and Melissa. Just really good times. The community was built and the word was, was preached and, and we got an opportunity to just grow in our faith. I think of Matt, um, you'll hate me saying this, Matt, but like giving up a, a very successful career in, in the advertising industry to, to come and be a pastor and to invest his time in growing community. You know, Nath, I know, I know, Nath turned down other offers to, to be serving with us at Catalyst, as well. There's just so much, Kelly, all the time you give to to doing the crunching the numbers for us. There's just so many people I could go on and on and on, and I'll stop because I could I could do this all day, but I want to move on. So I just want to yeah, land that there. Our career needs to be sacrificed, and that, and that is something that we balance. I think it's a question that we need to continue asking God. You know, it's, it's unwise if we just go, hey, I'm going to sacrifice my job. I'm going to pour seven days a week into, you know, going down to officer arena and preaching the gospel out the front. If God's calling us to do that, great. But obviously we do have responsibilities. We do need to provide those of us that have families. We have a responsibility, and that's very clear in the word. We need to provide but we need to be aware that that balance can, can tip very easily. So what is God calling you to give up? What has God called you to give up? And how can you continue monitoring that balance there? The second thing that we can get challenged by in our, in our journey of sowing and growing, growing and sowing, is the cost to our sense of importance. And this is something that was illustrated a bit further on in Mark chapter 10. We'll jump to verse 35. Just want to jump in to see... What seems to be like a real oddity, like there was a study note in my Bible just highlighted the fact that if this story wasn't included here, we probably would have a very different picture in our minds of what the disciples were really like. So let's jump into verse 35 of Mark chapter 10. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Wow, that's pretty big. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptised with the baptism in which I am baptised? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptised, you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them and said to said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we, we see this weird kind of like story where the disciples have just completely lost their focus we see in this moment. They're obviously, There's obviously this thing simmering underneath um, that's just been exposed because obviously James and John come to Jesus and, and ask him the question and then the ten respond. The word says they're indignant. So that reveals that I think the posture of their heart, there was obviously this underlying kind of like competition of well, who who's the most important here? It's been drawn out here by what James and John have asked of Jesus. Um, Even though it doesn't seem like Jesus responded particularly strongly to James and John, he was real with them. He said, look, that's going to cost you a lot. And and obviously he said that you will pay these prices and you will be honoured. We know that both James and John, according to Christian tradition, were martyred in in pretty horrific ways. And so they certainly did go on to pay the price, even if they didn't know at the time what it was going to be like. But obviously the disciples do respond with this sense of indignancy. And um, I think that can be the case in our hearts sometimes too. Right? I know in my heart, sometimes I, I get caught up, caught out realising that I'm actually a bit irked when other people get honoured and I don't. And I have to go and repent when, when that comes up in my heart because I know that's not something that Jesus wants me to be focusing on. He says to the, the 10 after they respond indignantly that it's not to be about who is exalted but it's about service it's about service and it's about being the slave of all that's pretty strong language for the the culture of the day the slaves were the ones that wiped the feet cleaned up the dishes did all the dirty jobs Um, and Jesus is saying hey that's what I want you to be like Um, we all know that that was quite culturally different and it's good for us to be reminded that those thoughts when they come Um, about wanting to be better than others, wanting to be honoured, wanting to be exalted in the sight of man. That's not part of God's design for us as disciples. I remember being kind of like challenged a little bit in this way when I was doing a little bit of an internship back in the day with uh, Mark Wilson when the Liberty Centre was a new thing and I reckon I spent probably half of my time just painting walls and that at the time, not that I had great expectations but, you know, there's definitely things... Better than painting walls that I thought I'd be doing. Uh, I was thinking preaching and raising the dead, healing the sick, all that all that glamorous stuff that we we dream of as um, as, as disciples of Jesus sometimes. But painting walls—that's what—that's what I got lumped with, and that was really good for my my self esteem, my character, and that that was great. You know, the painting wasn't in vain. We had some really good times at Liberty Center, and that space was. As much as it was, um, I was just thinking about it this week. I drove past it. Man, there was some issues with that building, but um, like it still it housed it housed some amazing gatherings, some amazing faith building gatherings, and I am just so thankful that I was able to be part of that. And you know, those those mundane service tasks. I just want to encourage you, those of you that are serving on setup, those of you that are parenting, doing all those you know disgusting jobs of cleaning nappies and um. All those sorts of things, which I'm being reminded about, because my girlfriend is doing a bit of a nanny and gig at the moment. And I'm hearing about all these things that I've, you know, just haven't heard about for quite some time. Like parents, you do an amazing job. You do a lot of like the dirty service tasks, and I want to encourage you. You are raising the next generation of people that are going to be preaching the gospel to our city um, and to the nations and and don't despise those mundane tasks because they are necessary. And that is so, so part of what Jesus has called us to as disciples. We'll move on to the third one. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about something that we often talk about and and part of me is kind of like, oh, well, you're talking about about it again, Sam, but I really feel like it's important to touch on it again. The cost to our reputation. Disciples are challenged by a cost to our reputation as we seek to grow and sow in the world. And and this is shown, I guess, particularly through the um, the story where Peter denied Jesus. And I hate to pick on Peter, but also there was a little bit of a, a bit of a disagreement between Paul and Peter that's recorded in Galatians where Peter was behaving in a way that Paul thought was quite contrary um, to the message of the gospel. And I just want to read these two passages. So we'll flick to Mark 14, verse 66. Just to have a quick look at how sometimes we as disciples can be challenged in laying down our reputation and opening ourselves up to criticism. So Mark 14, um, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, um, so this is obviously as Jesus is going um, on trial, Peter's come into the courtyard and he's warming himself by the fire with a bunch of servants um, of the courtyard Um, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. How devastating. Peter, we know from the um, subsequent recordings in the gospel of just how much this affected Peter. We know that this was a moment of fear. We know this was a moment of intimidation. This wasn't what Peter wanted, but yet he succumbed to that intimidation um, of what might happen if he admitted to being a follower of Jesus. Obviously, he knew Jesus was on trial. None of us can compare to any situation that we've been in, to the situation that Peter was in here. His Lord and Saviour is on trial, likely to be killed. There is a great cost to him admitting at this point that he is a disciple of Jesus. Yet we know that, that God's heart is that we would be faithful in testifying to our belief in him and to our trust in him. And, you know, I'm sure we've all been in situations where there's been a temptation to deny that we are a follower of Jesus. And unfortunately, I think we miss a great opportunity to actually sow in those moments. You know, I'm thinking of some of the the moments where I've been really challenged to admit whether I'm a disciple of Jesus or not. The times that I have, I just think of the great the great seeds that are sown in that point. Like I remember I've told this, mentioned this to a few people across the church. A couple of years ago in a uni class, one of my uni friends gave me unknowingly a bit of a roast for being a Christian. We were talking about the, the plebiscite, the gay marriage plebiscite at the time, and, yeah, she, she made a comment to the class about, like, finding all the no-voters and burning them. And she was sitting next to me at the time, didn't know that I was a Christian and we were catching up every now and then just because we had similar interests and in terms of psychology and we had a, a friendship, I suppose you could say, and we were catching up for a coffee a couple of weeks later and, yeah, she was going on it about again. And I, I thought to myself, man, I've got to tell her. This is going to come out. So I just said to her, look, this is probably really hard for you to hear, but I just want to let you know, like – we're on two different sides of the fence on this issue and I don't want that to get between us. And she was quite shocked, but that really, I could see that that really challenged her her perspective of what a Christian was like. And the great thing is that we've still got connection today um, and we still message each other every now and then just to check in on each other's, how each other's doing. And so the seed that was able to be sown in that, at that point, I'm really thankful that I, you know, I stepped out and I acknowledged that I, I was standing for this cause because I was, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I, I was clearly explaining that and rather than just saying, you know, I'm voting no. Um, I, I linked that to my faith and I explained how di- being a disciple of Jesus shapes my perspectives and, and opinions I guess. So the seeds that can be sown when we are challenged with that cost of reputation loss are actually really great. And I think the Apostle Paul particularly knew this. And I um, just want to jump to Galatians Galatians 2 as well, 11 to 13. I'll just give you a second to flip there. And this is, I guess, talking more about when it comes to church interactions. You know, sometimes we can, I think sometimes we can hear others say stuff that's not very not biblical or we disagree with and we can we can shirk or step back from, from saying, hey, I've actually got a different opinion because we're worried about how leaders might view us. We're worried about how our, our our fellow believers and brothers and sisters might view us for having a different opinion. Look, at the end of the day, our souls are at stake. And as we've seen, as I mentioned, you know, with, with believers losing faith and we're all aware of churches that are that are drifting in terms of commitment to the gospel, it's really important that we Stand up for what we believe to be true and have a discussion when we disagree Um, and not just not hold back and fail to challenge what we think is not good gospel behavior or good gospel action. Obviously, we need relationship with people to do this, and it's a very complicated issue, but I just want to highlight it because I think it's important for us to be aware of. So Galatians 2, 11 to 13 says, But when Cephas so Peter I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Mm -hmm. Jews? And so we see an example here where two leaders in the faith have a little bit of a, well, well, Paul calls out Peter, who's another prominent leader in the early church. And what had happened, as Paul alludes to here, is that Peter had been interacting with the Gentiles in Antioch. He'd been eating with them. He'd been fellowshipping with them. And at the time, the early church was still trying to figure out how this whole Jew and Gentile thing was was playing out. And a lot of the Jews were very hesitant about um, accepting Gentiles into the fellowship. And so a bunch of the circumcision party, which is kind of like a little Jewish sect, I believe, come to visit Antioch. And instead of continuing to commune with the Gentiles, Peter withdrew because of fear. And we see that here in Paul's comment in verse 12 he specifically states that Peter had feared the circumcision party. And so it wasn't because Peter was um, seeking to kind of like just step back and take a moment to explain to these Jews, hey, this is why, uh, let let me hang out with you and preach to you for a while. It was a significant step because of fear that he had stepped back from fellowship with um, the Gentiles. And I was reading a bunch of theological stuff about why Paul said what he said. I'd encourage you to delve into it yourself if you want to. I'm not going to go into that here. But Paul challenges him. And Paul risks his reputation here too. This could have been quite a tragic split in the church even. Peter could have reacted and said, you know, you're an idiot, Paul. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go off and hang out with my Jewish mates. But we know that obviously Paul's decision to call Peter out had really good effects because it helped serve as a basis of foundation for the letter of, you know, Galatians. And, and Paul was able to, to give the early church some really meaty theology about what it is to truly follow Jesus. Um, And that is accepting everyone, regardless of whether they are Jewish, regardless of whether they are Gentile. And so challenging this other leader was actually a really, really important step for Paul. And though he risked his reputation as a leader in the church, um, it was clearly the right thing to do. And so I just encourage you as, as you continue to grow and so regardless of what position you're in, whether you're a leader or not, there's people that you have relationship with. There's people that trust your opinion, that trust and want to listen to what you have to say about their lives, whether that's family members or friends. Don't hold back when, when God highlights things or when things come into your mind that you th- you're worried about in terms of people's walk with, with the Lord. Don't hold back from asking questions and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not sure about this. But what you're doing doesn't seem to be lining up with what we've signed up to as disciples of Jesus. And and if you do that in a really respectful manner, that can lead to some great conversation about growing in our relationship with Jesus and growing in our walk to sow into others. So don't hold back. Don't let fear stop you. And sometimes that will lead to awkward conversations. Sometimes that will lead to even the end of relationships. But I think it's really important for us to be aware that sometimes we're going to get called to ask some really hard questions in love. So speak the truth in love. Let's keep speaking the truth in love. So there are a few of the challenges that we might come into contact with as as disciples. And I just encourage you, they are normal. If you are struggling with any of those, if you're struggling with the cost to your time, your resources, your relationships with others, if you're you're struggling with, with kind of pride, sense of importance, if you're struggling with what it might mean for your reputation to step out in a way that God is calling you to, then I really encourage you to talk to someone. Don't journey that alone. And this is totally worth it. These costs are totally worth it, as I said at the start. We have been called to something that has eternal consequences, far beyond what we can ever think or imagine at the moment, at the present time. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back to be crowned king over the universe we are going to dwell forever in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. I just can't wait. I cannot wait. Every time I think about God renewing things, restoring the earth to what he intent, originally intended it to be like, I just get so excited. There's going to be no more tears, no more pain. Jesus is coming back. And and in addition to that, I just want to highlight a, a little theological point that I think we, we often look over as, as believers, and that is that we actually are working for a reward. We don't work... Because of the reward, we work because we are saved by grace through faith. But there is a reward specific to how we choose to act in this life. If we invest in kingdom things, if we invest in growing in our relationship with God and helping others grow, in sowing into others' relationship with Jesus, there is a greater reward. And scripture makes that really clear. I just want to jump to a couple of passages in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, 11 to 12 says blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if your reputation suffers, if you suffer persecution, there's going to be a reward. Matthew 6, 5 to 6 says, and when you pray, you must, be not, must not be like hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And Matthew 6, 9 to 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also. These are a couple of passages where Jesus promises reward, and he's not talking about salvation; he is talking about something else. Um, and if you want to delve into the theological aspect of this, there is a passage I believe in two Corinthians passage that talks about um, when we stand before God, He's going to judge what we've our works, and some of our works are going to be burned up with fire because we've wasted our life on stuff that doesn't really matter, and some of our works are going to remain, and God's going to reward us for that. And so there's actually a higher reward for those of us that invest in, in godly things in this life. And that's something to be excited about. That's not something that Jesus says, oh, well, I'll reward you, but don't worry too much about that. He's explicit about that. That's something that we can look forward to. And I encourage you to be encouraged this morning by that. I just want to land in a place of being thankful. Again, we seek to learn from Jesus and grow in Jesus And we seek to sow into others because of the incredible grace that God has shown us. We don't do it for earthly merit. We don't do it for um, reward from people or stature. We do it because we are thankful. And I just want to spend a minute just being thankful this morning and dwelling on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. There it is, seeking reputation, seeking earthly gain, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which were by nature uh, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. He's washed us clean. He's decided not to punish us for the rebellion that we've harboured in our hearts against Him, as we trust in Him, He's wiped the slate clean. And I was reminded about this this act of cleansing yesterday. Uh, my sister's dog had a bit of a fun time down at the park yesterday. Rachel um wasn't planning on coming home because she's house sitting for that Lisa and Nathan at the moment, but she rocked up mid afternoon because uh, Ryder right, needed a bath um and those of you that know Ryder will know he's a very white golden retriever and he was just caked in mud as you can see from the picture um and there's there's something about dogs that just like helps me understand how God sees me you know how they're just like happy and dumb and stupid and (laughs) impulsive like that's exactly what I am that's exactly how God must see me and we just get ourselves into messes sometimes just like Ryder did yesterday but Thanks to some, um, some hard work by, by my sister and my dad, you can see Ryder lost his dirt and I just think it's a beautiful picture of what God does to us. Cleansed, able to come inside now. We did not want Ryder running around the house with dirt and mud all over him. No. As I, I can be sure the rest of us would be cleansed. Our sin is taken away. We're free to be in close relationship with God again. And that's why we disciple others. That's why we seek to preach the gospel. That's why we seek to help others know what it is to walk in relationship with Jesus because of that, that we will be able to spend eternal life with him, that he will take away our blame when we stand before him one day. And there is a world out there of people that don't understand that. And whilst it's not our job to convince them, it is our job to testify and testifying and discipling and walking with others as they journey with God is one of the most rewarding things in the world because we know there is an eternal reward and because what we do is not futile. Let's pray and, and um, yeah, just, just thank God. Lord, I want to thank you so much for saving me. I want to thank you so much for just washing me clean. I want to thank you for the privilege it is to be part of this community where we are helping others um, through our messes respectively and journeying with you, preserving our love for you and seeking to share that message with others. God, I just pray that as we continue to help each other, journey with each other, catch up for coffees after the lockdown ends and hanging out at, you know, church gatherings and just chat while we're, you know, doing the dishes at home or on public transport with, with other commuters or at the shops, um, chatting with neighbours, Lord, wherever we are, we want to be people that bring, the, bring you into focus because you are the thing that matters most. Lord, give us faith, give us courage, give us wisdom and help us to continue coming before you daily, thanking you for the sacrifice, thanking you for the new life. God, we give you all the glory. Jesus, we thank you that you've walked in our shoes. We thank you that you haven't left us without a guide, a comfort in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be yielded to you more and more today than we were yesterday and tomorrow more than we are today. Continue to lead us and continue to give us faith as we lead others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.